Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. I'm sitting here staring out the window at the wintry wonderland in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Living in North Carolina for the past 11 years has changed me into somebody that actually likes winter weather again. With that being said, I like it for short periods of time. I'm good with the weather getting back to the 50s or 60s, but the wintry landscape in the mountains, now that'll never get old. So today, I sat down with my friend Johnny Lester. She and I grew up in Michigan. In fact, we were actually only about 20 minutes apart, but never knew each other. Now, Johnny has an interesting story on what prompted her to leave Michigan and move to North Carolina. You know, she realized at a young age that she needed to change her life. She knew that the path she was currently on was leading her to a dead end. We talked about what led her to North Carolina, being a female in the police department, and how she and her husband made huge life decisions to better their family. You know, life is full of give and takes. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, a hot tea, or just a good old glass of water, and enjoy the show. I'll see you next week. Johnny, thank you very much for coming in here and sitting down and taking a little time out of your day to chat. Yes, thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. How's your week going? So far, so good. Yeah. Holiday on Monday. I took Tuesday and Wednesday off, so Perfect. trying to knock out some appointments and stuff. But with the snow, some things were canceled, but all is well. Yeah, you guys got a lot of uh, ice here. So we were in the mountains, and we probably got 13 inches of snow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was nice. We were hunkered down, didn't have to do anything right. except for sit and watch the snow. Don't have to go anywhere. That's the best. No. Did, were the kids off on Monday? They were off Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, they went back to school today. Okay. Yeah, Good and joy. when I planned the two days off, I knew they'd be off Monday for Martin Luther King Day, but I didn't expect the Tuesday, so I was like, oh, I'm going to take two extra days off to be by myself. And then those little bastards were off on Tuesday, too. I was like, what? <laughs> I know some of them had the day off and then others had a, uh, a two-hour delay. I think maybe it, CMS might not have been off. I think Union County was off on Tuesday, off. but not CMS. Yeah. How old are the kids now? Mm, Aspen just turned seven last week. Gosh. And Auburn's eight. What grade is that now? Is that second and fourth? First and third. First and third. Yeah. A little off. Yep. And they're both getting active over the last couple months. Our schedules went from each of them having practice one day a week. Auburn does swim and Aspen does gymnastics. They both got bumped up to team level and pre-team level. So Auburn swims three days a week plus swim meets on the weekends and Aspen does gymnastics four hours a week. The good thing about that is she only goes two days a week, but it's two hour practices and they all line up perfectly. So there's no overlapping with practice times except on Fridays, but Mark's off on Friday. So it works out. Is uh, the practices... Is it to where they're old enough, you drop them off and then come back and get them? Or do you have to sit there and wait? I can drop them. So Auburn's practices are only 50 minutes. So it's hard to drop her and then go home and come back because there's just not enough time. So a lot of times I'll take Aspen to the grocery store or something with me because they don't let you in to watch anyway. They don't allow parents inside. Gymnastics you can watch, um, but Aspen's gymnastics starts on Wednesday at 3, which I'm still working. So I'll drop her come home, finish working, and then go back and pick her up at 5.15. They seem to practice. really enjoy it. They love it. They're, they're chosen sports as of now. Yep. Yeah, it could change, but they both are loving every minute of it at this point. Auburn's funny. 
she's, you know, ADD is ADD comes. And, um, before she got on the swim team, like, you know, she'd be in practice and she'd just dive down to the bottom of the pool, pick up trash, looking over her shoulder to see who's doing what and, you know, what's going on behind her. And as soon as she got on the swim team, it's like something clicked and she's focused. Last weekend before they got snowed out, she did the butterfly for the first time in a swim meet. And it was just funny to watch because she's, you know, swimming, swimming, and she comes out of the water, looks left, sees that she's out in front of everyone, and she kicks it in and goes even faster. Wow. So it was just fun to, fun to watch. And afterwards, she, she's so proud of herself. She just loves it. Did you do sports when you were growing up? Were you a sports kid? I played softball and basketball. Travel both. How different is the sports nowadays than when you were growing up? You know, it's funny because I played travel softball and basketball, but I was better at softball. And we traveled all over the country, Canada, but we didn't pay a dime to play. We had a sponsor, CompuWare in Michigan. So they paid for all our gear, our uniforms. They paid for our rec leagues, our tournaments, anything. If we traveled under a thousand miles, they paid gas mileage. If we traveled over a thousand miles, they paid for airfare. For example, if my dad took a friend of ours, another kid on the team, my dad would get gas mileage for that kid too. So not just for me, but for the other kid that he was transporting. And we also got a daily allowance for food. So wow, it's really bizarre, like the amount of money people spend on sports nowadays, because just I was poor. We didn't make a lot of money growing up. So if we had to pay the thousands of dollars that it yeah. costs nowadays, like I wouldn't have been able to do it. So fortunate that I found a team that was sponsored, I guess. It seems like so many teams nowadays are travel teams. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of seems like the way it's moving or it's there. Yeah. And it's funny because when we traveled, like I went to nationals several times and the really good teams were out west because they could practice year round. There wasn't a lot of teams from the Carolinas, but now that I'm down here, they're here. I don't know why they weren't at nationals and stuff, or maybe it just got bigger down here after I stopped playing sports. But it seemed like all the, the better teams were out west because like I said, they, they, even in the winter, they could practice outside where, you know, I'm from Michigan. So we had to practice year round, but we practiced on Sundays for six hours in a college gymnasium because we needed somewhere big enough to be able to hit a ball and, yeah, you know, and to play. Yeah. Nice. So you've got the two kids, your husband, um, you're working. How are you holding all that together? Um, the last couple of years have been kind of bizarre with, COVID and all that, you know, over the last two years, maybe jumping ahead here, but for years I tried to chase more money, chase more money. And, you know, you get the next promotion, get the next promotion and work, work, work. And then finally the kids are getting older and I'm like, this is stupid. We need to take a step back. So like I've tried to build a schedule that, you know, works for the family. Cause when the kids were little, I put them in daycare for 12 hours a day. Me and Mark worked opposite shifts. So I needed someone to watch the kids like from six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening or somewhere around there. You know, taking a couple different pay cuts, different roles over the last couple of years to try to have more time in my day to be able to, so the kids aren't in daycare all day long or after school or whatever it is, which has been great. But with COVID and the kids being sent home from school, I'm trying to work and teach. You know, at first it was, I had a four-year-old and teaching first grade. Well, Aspen was acting like an asshole. Is there swearing allowed on this? Bro? A little bit. Okay. Good. Uh, Aspen was acting like a little rat when COVID first popped off because I'm dealing with Auburn trying to teach first grade because at first they sent home the whole curriculum. Like it was an eight hour day. And I'm like, 
I can't teach first grade. And Aspen's getting angry because Auburn's getting all the attention. And nonetheless, there's lots of yelling and screaming and crying and from adults to kids and everywhere in between. So I was able to take a little bit of time off for paid leave and stuff to be able to deal with them. And then went back to school or back to work. I don't even know what year it is. It's summer of 2020 when the girls were in camps and stuff. And then, of course, then the next school year hit. Now, Auburn or Aspen's in kindergarten and Auburn's in second grade. And we pivoted, put them back in a school that was in person five days a week. But right right off the bat, they were sent home. They were sent home probably six or seven times for two weeks at a time during that school year. So, you know, trying to work and teach kindergarten, second grade, not easy. How was your employer through this? Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so right before COVID hit, I took a role at um, a small insurance company in downtown Charlotte, and they were fantastic, the most understanding people. Like, So I worked for uh, Lincoln Financial before I went to the smaller insurance company. And because I went to the smaller insurance company, I was able to take the family paid family leave or whatever mm-hmm. because it was a smaller business. If I had stayed at Lincoln, I'm like, I don't know how I would have survived, to be honest, because I would have been working at the time, like 60 hours a week, trying to do all the schoolwork and everything, too. So it's kind of a blessing that I took that role. Um, They're very understanding, very supportive. Whatever I needed, they were there. I couldn't imagine having to work full time and teach Mm. a a first grader or a kindergartner and a second grader and, and you think it's over and then the next year it happens all over again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I give you all the props. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. But it was like even the teachers, um, Auburn's teacher in second grade had a second grader herself. So she's teaching second grade, yelling in the background to her son, trying to help him. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is just a debacle. Yeah. Hopefully it'll it'll kind of work itself out. But, you know, I know even with the older kids, you know, my son was in 11th grade and then his entire senior year, he was home and it derailed so many different kids of kind of what their focus was and time will tell, Yep. you know, the full effect that it had on kids. You know, and I could sit here and feel sorry for myself that I had to teach kindergarten first and second grade. But like you said, the older kids, I mean, Mm -hmm. older kids need to be in person too. Like it's, it's. It's not just those of us with younger kids that were affected. It was everyone in between. So, I mean, and human beings were meant to be around other human beings. Exactly. And talk about the mental health issues and the depression and the things that have come about and have grown in the past two years. For sure. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Even, um, I don't say I have mental health issues. That's not me, but I'm like... Even me, I'm like, I feel weighed down from time to time. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just need everyone to back off. I need to be alone for a few minutes. Because now I'm fully remote. So just being at home and and Mark's home during the day. So I'm like, when you're used to being out of the house for eight hours a day, and now you're in the house all day long, it's like sometimes you just need a break from your family too. Yeah, a little decompression. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So where'd you grow up? Uh, Detroit. Mm -hmm. Just outside of Detroit, Waterford. Yeah, we were like... 20 minutes away from each other. Yep. Forever. We were and didn't even know it. No, no. (laughs) Did you like growing up over there? Yeah. I mean, yes, I had a blast. I was a kid that liked to have fun. I played sports and traveled and yeah, I mean, I loved it. How old were you when you moved? Oh God, I got to do math. I think I was like 25-ish. So I grew up in Waterford, like I said, and played sports and all that. And I kind of hung out with a bunch of different people like the jocks, the 
partiers, the I ran the gamut. I was friends yeah. with everybody. You know, in Michigan, it's like it's kind of a joke when I moved down here. It's like when you move down to North Carolina, there's a church on every corner. But in Michigan, there's a bar on every corner. It's just a different world. So we partied a lot and, you know, had fun in high school and college and all that. And I have a lot of great friends still from Michigan, some of my best friends. But there was a time in high school and right after high school where I was like, I got to get the hell out of here because if I don't, I'm never going to make anything of myself. And like I said, I have a lot of great friends that are very successful in Michigan. But just for me, like friends that I knew were, you know, doing drugs and getting arrested for robberies and murders and shootings and just crazy stuff. And it was like, I got to get the hell out of here. I got to yeah. start fresh somewhere. That's that's good that you recognize that. Right? Yes. And, you know, I experimented with a lot of the drugs and stuff, too. And um, like I said, drank a lot and did stupid stuff, made a lot of mistakes. And But it was like, yeah, it was just something where I was like, yeah, this is something I need to do. I got to get out of here. I'm leaving. Did you go to college in Michigan? I did. Um, I got a scholarship for softball to Northwood University, private school. So, of course, it's more expensive than you know, your central Michigan or, you know, yeah. you know, your normal local schools and whatever. And I went and played and had fun. And like I said, I drank a lot and got in trouble. And um, I got arrested for a DWI mm. when I was 17 because I started college when I was 17 and ended up losing my scholarship. So the rules for the softball team were if you got caught drinking at all, you lost your scholarship. The football team, you just got suspended for a game. So I was pissed about it. They begged me to stay. And I was like, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm not staying here. I can't afford it. My family right. wasn't wealthy. I couldn't afford to pay for a private school. So I went home and they begged me to come back. And they're like, we'll change the rules next year. And I'm like, next year doesn't help me this year. So I'm gone. I might mention that I'm stubborn too. So probably <laughs> should have stayed, but whatever. Um, my stubbornness kicked in and said, nope, you don't yeah. want me. I'm gone. So I went uh, back home. My... I think it was my basketball coach. High school basketball coach was the softball coach at the community college, Oakland Community College. So I just went and played softball for him. Of course, that was paid for. And I did two years there. And that's when I decided after the two years that I was like, yeah, I got to go. I got to get out of here. I got to do something different. Why North Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to go somewhere where I at least knew one person. Like at that point, I knew I wanted to go to try to get in the police academy somewhere. And everyone's like, well, why not Detroit? And I'm like, Detroit. I'm not going to be a cop in Detroit. Yeah. Um, so anyways, my options were, or I'd limit it down to Charlotte, where my stepbrother lived, or Colorado, where my sister lived. And uh, I just decided, North Carolina, let's go there. I knew someone on the police department in North Carolina in Charlotte. Um, so I just thought that was, uh, at least I would know someone. So I traveled moved down here by myself and applied to the police department. And they said they didn't like the fact that I just up and moved from Michigan and they wouldn't hire me. And I was like, what sense does that make? Like, I'm here looking for a job. Right. Like, but it, they, like in, in their mind, it was irresponsible that I didn't have a job lined up when I moved and it was reckless that I just moved without a job. So whatever. So I found a job, um, working at BB and T, I think just did teller work and customer service stuff there. I moved here in 2003. And right uh, right before I moved, the week before I moved, my dad died unexpectedly. Looking back at that, there was a the doc. So my dad never went to the doctor a day in his life. 
And like the Thursday before he died, he called me and told me he went to the doctor. And I was like, "Mm, (laughs) it's not good. And you could tell he was not well. He smoked a lot and stuff like that and uh, drank. And um, he said, could you stop at the store and get me a, what do you call it? Like an asthma inhaler. Yeah, inhaler. And so I picked it up for him. And I left that night and went to have dinner with a friend of mine. And I said, my dad's dying. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, my dad's going to die. You just felt it. I just knew it. And, um, ooh, got a little teary eyed there for a second. Yeah. Hold on. Um, so anyhow, I went to work at, I was working at a bank in Michigan at the time too. And, uh, I got a call like early in the morning and it was a police department and I knew exactly what it was. Um, dealt, dealt with the funeral and all that good stuff and still moved, came down to Charlotte like a week later by myself. So were you dealing with that by yourself or cause you just said your sister's in Colorado and, or did you have somebody there to... No, my brother was in is still in Michigan. Okay. Um. So me, my brother and sister, we're half brother and sister. So my brother and sister have different moms. But yeah, I dealt with the funeral and all that. I'm. That's just. I don't know why. I just was always the strong one of the family, and you know, just dealt with things. So yeah, I handled all that right before we came down, or I came down here. Um. But anyhow, so I was working at BB and T after I came down here, tried to get on the police department, and got a job there. And I was like, this isn't going to work for me. I'm like, I've got to do something different because the police department don't want me. So I'm like trying to think of career paths that are, you know, going to be there in the long haul. So I'm like, I'm going to go to nursing school. So I started nursing school in probably 2005, the fall of 2005. And got through that first semester, started the second semester. And my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer in, yeah. Nope, I lied. She died in 2005. So I started school in 2004. And in April of 2005, she called, said she was diagnosed with lung cancer and it had spread to her brain. And she had like a 5% chance of living a year, something like that. So while I'm working at BB&T, my mom's still in Michigan. So I'm going back and forth, you know, trying to deal with her. And she did chemo and radiation and all that good stuff. And it's funny because... Like with my dad, it was an unexpected death and it was hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But with my mom, the doctor said when she was diagnosed, like this is going to be a roller coaster. And that's exactly what it was. She um, was diagnosed in April. She died in August. So work was great. They let me go back and forth to deal with her. My mom was married, um, remarried, but I did most of the things. Okay. I won't get into all that. But um, so... Anyhow, so we, um, there was a time right before July 4th, uh, my stepsister called and said, you need to get up here. She's not doing good. And I was like, oh, great. So of course I went up there. I get there and my mom's hosting a freaking party because it was her husband's birthday right before the 4th of July. And I'm like, I mean, clearly she was sick, right? but I'm like, she just put on this big ass party. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, she looks fine to me. I mean. So anyhow, so I left on July 4th to go back home because I needed to get back to work myself. And the next day she calls me crying. And I'm like, gosh, shit, what happened now? So I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, all excited, happy tears. Yeah. Tumor on her brain had shrunk. The one in her lung had shrunk. And she's just ecstatic because that 
defies all the odds, right? Yep. <laughs> that weekend, I got to call my mom's on hospice. I'm like, what? Um, apparently, it had spread, you know, through her whole body. So I went back up to Michigan again and told my work, like, I'll, she's probably not going to make it through the weekend. I'll be back in a week, week and a half. Mm -hmm. She lived four weeks <laughs> with no food, no water, just on hospice and like every week I'd call work and be like, she's still here. Yeah. I'll call you. I'll call you next week. And, um, so anyhow, so that was rough. So the point being is like with when my dad died and it was quick and unexpected, like it was hard, but the roller coaster ride of dealing with someone. Yeah. It was so difficult. Yes. Just draining, exhausting. And how old were you? 25 ish, 26, maybe. I don't know. Somewhere around there. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. So I lost my mom or my dad in 2003, my dad, my mom in 2005. And then right after my mom died is when the police academy calls and says, hey, are you still interested in coming to, to work for us? And I'm like, why not? Yep. <laughs> sure. Let's do it. It was probably a good thing. Yeah. Because you're back down to North Carolina and you get into the academy and the academy is you don't have to think. Right. You know, they're just, this is what you do. And you're going to do this for the next however many weeks, eight weeks. And mm -hmm. we'll put you through, the, which was probably good at the time, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of get through it. But, you know, like I was, I was talking to Jimmy and had him on and he's like, I, I tried to go back to normalcy, you know, after the death of his daughter. And he said, and I put the grieving behind me and shoot, you know, it's 12 years later, 13 years later. And it's finally, you know, yep. because it's not always getting just back to normal and, and bury everything. Right. And living the cop lifestyle, you bury a lot of things. So mm -hmm. I can relate to what I listened to Jimmy's recording yesterday. So I can relate to what he's saying there. I think one of the biggest things when he told about the counselor and to get, he went to a grieving yes. counselor all the way, you know, back. Starting over, basically. Yeah, yep. right? Start from the beginning. Yep. So on to the police academy. So so now you're still here by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you were just bound and determined. Like, did you ever think that, man, I'm not going to make it? Or did you move here and like kind of shut the door in Michigan? I'm here now. Yeah, I, I think I kind of shut the door. So growing up, my dad was friends with lots of cops and he was always one like, you see a cop, you wave, you know, you're always respectful, you know, whatever. And so when I made a decision, I was going to be a cop. I was like, no, I'm going to be a cop. Like mm -hmm. that was it. There was nothing else. And so I only had a two year degree in criminal justice because I'd lost my scholarship up in, you know, school and whatnot. So, you know, and you didn't have to have a four-year degree to be a cop. And so that was just, um, this is what I'm doing. Like, and, and I'm very frugal and I'm not a big fan of debt. I've never had debt in my life other than a mortgage payment. So for me to, to pay for college, I wasn't going to do that. Like I wasn't going to take loans to go to school. I didn't want to owe anyone anything. Yeah. Um, that's just the way my, my dad was raised and how he raised me. Like if you didn't have cash to pay for it, you didn't buy it. So that's just kind of been how I've lived my whole life or most of it. It's not a bad life. <laughs> no, no. It helps you sleep at night, <laughs> it, doesn't it? It does. 
so the the police department in Charlotte, you know, they finally called and said, you know, you want to you want to do this, and they said that you had to pass a PT test first, and then you had to pass a written test, and and you know, I played sports my whole life, so I was in decent shape, and you know, I ran a little bit, and you know, dabbled, but I didn't work out like I do now. So they had this practice test for <laughs> the PT portion, and um, I mean, it's just a short little test, some push ups, some stair stepper things, sit ups, and run back and forth like mm-hmm. super easy and you had to do it i don't even know what the time frames are or anything anymore but you had to do it at a certain time so i did the practice test and i failed and i was like oh shit yeah. <laughs> i'm like okay we'll try again next month so i went home and i started running every day i had a boxer i made him run with me every day and i did sit-ups and push-ups every day and went back the following month and did the practice test again just to be sure because i didn't want to screw it up because if you screwed it up you had to wait a many months before you could try again. And uh, I was like the fastest one there. And uh, the day that, so then the the real test, they wanted someone to demo and they called me up because they knew I'd done the practice test and could do it. And, uh, you know, it was just funny because you go from failing this test to now they're using you as a demo girl right. to at the police department. So it was just kind of funny. Well, it's that whole learning a little bit from the failure. It wasn't the end of the world. Nope. And it pushed you a little harder. Yes, it did. It pushed you to make you... Probably one of the most fittest people on the department. Yeah. Um, if I wasn't the fittest, I was definitely in the top couple. Yeah, I got I was always at the top of the PT awards every year and um yeah, so it's just yeah, it was kind of a motive and that's kinda of where my fitness started. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, once you get on the police department, you see all these overweight and unhealthy cops and it's like, I'm not gonna be that person. That's not me. If you've got a be this fit to get on, you need to be this fit to to remain on, in my opinion. I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> Did uh, How long were you on the department? 10 years. Was it hard leaving? Yes and no. So... What was the driver behind you leaving the department? So back up, where'd you meet Mark? The department. On the department. So, <laughs> and Mark is her husband. So they're married. And when she was talking about it before, they were working opposite shifts. And then if anybody's ever worked opposite shifts, it's very, very hard, especially when you're raising kids. So back to my other, my question about leaving the department. Yep. So we had Auburn in 2013, had Aspen in 15. And it was just kind of, we don't have family here. Like Both of my parents are dead. Uh, Mark's dad has passed away. His mom's in Virginia, but mm-hmm. um, she, so we didn't have any family here. So it was like, I would go, at the time I was on VCAT, which is the Violent Criminal Apprehension Team, and Mark was on SWAT and Vice. So I would get called into work at, you know, seven o'clock at night, and then we would barricade someone and Mark would get called in. And I was like, well... Who goes? Because he's a sniper or was. And it's like, so we would have to evaluate like whose role is more important on this call would determine who would go into work and who would stay home. But every night it was a battle because it was like, okay, if I get called in before 11, I'll go. But if it's after 11, I won't go. And then, you know, it's just a lot of stress like every day thinking because you're on call 24 seven. You're not off call. You just it's not how it works. You're dealing with some good people. Mm. Both of you. Mm-hmm. Was there an opportunity where you could have left that and, and gone back to patrol? Or yeah. is that something you just... Yeah, I mean, there was plenty of options, I'm sure. Like, I could have went back to patrol. I just, I felt like the world was turning at that point from a police standpoint. And 
the world was starting to hate the cops and, um, you know, bad stuff was on the media. And I just thought to myself, like, if something happens to one or both of us, these girls are in North Carolina with nobody else. So we made the decision that one of us needed to leave and do something normal um, with a schedule, um, with a routine. And since he had more time on it, just made more sense that that would be me. So that's why I left and I found a job at Liberty Mutual at the time. And that's hard leaving your identity. Yeah. I always thought like the fire department was my identity. And yep. when I left there, it took a while to kind of figure out what the next step is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard. The only validating things that um, helped me after the fact. Like right after I left, uh, a girl that I was on my team got shot and I felt awful. Not that I would have changed the outcome, but you know, I wasn't there. So I felt bad about that. And then a couple months later is when all those riots popped off downtown and yeah. it was mandatory 12s again, no days off. And I'm like, it would have been literally impossible for Mark and I both to work 12s with no days off, opposite shifts. Even with the daycare, we, I mean, I said we had daycare scheduled for 12 hours a day, but even we it still wouldn't have been able to make it work. Right. So it was like... Yes, it was the right decision. I know it was the right decision. Doesn't mean it was an easy decision. Right. And I'm sure the kids, you know, being at home and staying at home with the kids is, it's important. Yeah. It's important for you and it's important for them. And, um, and I, I feel like they need some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in back at, at home I know that a lot of moms feel this way. Have you ever, how do you deal with the, the stigma of the working mom? Do you ever have to deal with that? That's never really bothered me. Um, you know, it's funny. And it's funny, too, because I always thought stay-at-home moms were people that they stayed home for like the first four or five years until their kids went to school. And then if they chose to, they went back to work because it's easier because they're in school. And I'm like, every year it gets harder and harder. I'm like, how do people freaking work and have kids? Like, it's exhausting. It's like, there's something all the time. Even today, I'm like, oh my God, I got a dental appointment reminder. Shoot. Um, you know, it's like, so now I'm looking at the work schedule and looking at their gymnastics and swim and like trying to juggle all the things. And I'm like, it gets harder and harder as it gets, as they get older. It yeah. doesn't get easier. No. And the schedule here in North Carolina is crazy for elementary school because they start school so early. It's like seven in the morning. What time do they get off? The I remember they got off the two. I don't know how, you know, what you do to fill that gap, especially if you're working, there's daycare, you know, you're, you're putting them in daycare. Yep. So the good thing about that is, um, said, I've been trying to work less I still work full time, but I work less just trying to build a schedule that works better for the family. And I'm like, especially after COVID hit, I'm like, I'm not putting my kids back in after school. If COVID's that bad that they've, you know, like some of the schools canceled after school, like our school don't even have after school right now. But I'm like, even if it comes back, I'm not doing it. Like work's going to have to work around me. Like that's just the way it is at this point. So luckily being that I'm fully remote and at home, um, they get off the bus at two and I meet them at the bus stop and I come back home and I keep working. But but yeah, like if I was in the office, like how do you do that? I don't know how you do it, you know. Mm-mm. It's it's very very difficult. And uh now with you're working at Liberty Mutual, when did you when did you start your Plexus? Oh, gig? I started Plexus um four and a half years ago. So whenever that was. 
this is kind of funny. So for years, I watched, you know, there's companies out there, Advocare and Isogenics and things and personal friends, people that I knew personally were making, you know, 50 grand, 100 grand a year. And I'm like, you know what, if I ever find something that I really like, I'm going to promote it. I didn't know what it would be or when it would be or whatever. So, you know, years later, I tried Plexus off a friend's referral and literally it changed my health. Like I used to not go to the bathroom daily. Sorry, too much information probably <laughs> for a podcast, but it's true. Like a couple times a week was normal. Um, since I started Plexus, I go every single day. Um, I used to get sinus infections four or five times a year. I haven't had one in over four years. So I was like, this stuff works. And the kicker was I started actually because Aspen had eczema really bad. And I tried her on this probiotic that Plexus made and it cleared up her eczema. Um, And I was like, and if Mm. you've ever had a kid with bad eczema, it's a big pain. Pain. And uh, it was like life changing. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the one I'm going to promote. But I'm also not a salesperson. So I'm like, I can't post on social media. I can't do that. Like, that's not me. And I remember, shout out to Mikey. I was talking to him about it. And he's like, do the people on social media pay your bills? And I was like, no. He's like, so if you see something on social media, you don't like it. Do you get pissed or judge them? Or you just keep scrolling? I'm like, I just keep scrolling. He's like, hit post. And I was like, okay. And that night I typed up a post and hit submit. And I went to bed because I was afraid to see what people would say. And literally from that day forward, I haven't paid for my product since. And the income, like, am I making a hundred grand a year? No. But the first full year after I started, it covered two kids in daycare. I was like, there you go. I'll take it. Isn't that funny how Mikey can bring it? And Mikey is with WinRate uh, Consulting and check him out. <laughs> and he can take something and make you realize kind of how silly you are Mm -hmm. by overthinking it. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast. He's like, put a date. This is the day. And this is going to be your first one. And I was like, oh, I wait, no, can't do that. What are people going to think? And who cares? Right. Right. Who cares what they think? Because you're going to have some that go, well, I don't really care what you're doing. Boop, boop, boop. Away you go. But then you're going to have others that go like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to check that out. Yep. And you're doing, there's no harm. Nope. Not at all. It's so funny. It is. Like we, we're our own worst enemies. We are. 90% of the time. Yep. Yep. So silly. But it, yeah. That fear. The fear can just grip you mm-hmm. and hold you. Until, you know, hopefully you find somebody or you just listen to somebody and go, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome that and take that next step. Yep. And, and I always, some people equate fear with not wanting to do stuff like cold calling. Mm-hmm. I, I won't cold call. Me I'm either. not scared of cold calling. I just don't want to do it. Exactly. And, you know, and you find your way and then away you go. And that's good. I mean, you've been you've been doing and selling that product for four and a half years. years. That's a long time. It's just something that I like. It's natural. I'm like I'm like you. I'm not cold calling. I'm not going to shove something in your face until you need to do it. This is what works for me. If you want to try it, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Like That's it. And four and a half years later, I'm I've got hundreds of people on my team. So that great. It's amazing. That's fantastic. Not all work the business, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't need to. Yeah. And they, and they will, you know, or they won't, 
Is it still growing? Yep. So it's funny because it ebbs and flows like any business. Like I hear people all the time like, oh, it's a pyramid scheme. Like these people, network marketers, blah, blah, blah. And uh, like it's a different day and age. Like network marketing is a real thing. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't frown upon it. Like it's it's just not. But um, yeah, so in 2020, when the pandemic kicked off, it was like all these companies are folding and shutting down. And network marketing companies went through the freaking roof. Like my team tripled, at least tripled in 2020 because people were scared. Like now everyone's like, oh, this virus and I want to focus on my health now. And plant-based supplements sounds sounds like a place to start. So it was just kind of interesting to see that um, in a time when the world is collapsing that our business was still growing significantly. Even the real estate throughout this has gone crazy prior to this they were starting to talk about you know that there's probably there's going to be a shift in the market you know and it's going to slow down and it just took off Mm -hmm. accelerated so on the police department we were talking about this before we came on what what advice would you have for females thinking about going into that career that may be on the sidelines going "Mm, i don't know I'm nervous or I'm scared to go into that field. Well, first and foremost, a female on the police department, they're they're needed. Um, You've got to have thick skin. Like, you've got to have empathy. Like, women are great because they can empathize more so, not not every male, but in 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 the grand scheme of things, a woman is more empathetic to situations than a man is on a, you know, a homicide scene or something Mm -hmm. like that. Don't be scared. Like the guys, like a lot of people are just uh, like timid to work with the guys. And I've had to prove myself the whole time. Like there's been plenty of guys that thought, you know, oh, this female, like we don't want her here. And then I go prove that I'm as good or better than them. And then they want me on their team. You just have to prove yourself and and don't shy down. Like don't the the fear thing. I think it's more fear. Like you're, you're scared that these men are going to judge you and they do. And there's still some guys like some SWAT guys specifically that are just old school. And they're like, women shouldn't be on the police department and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But most of them change their attitude when they realize that, you know, you can do what they can do and oftentimes better. Now I'm never going to say like, there's definitely a place, you know, for a man. I mean, I don't want to go toe to toe with a 300, 300 pound dude. I just don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to use tools on my belt. Like I'm not fighting someone that size, period. It was kind of like, <laughs> don't, don't let the stigma hold you back. Right. And I always looked at, you know, we had females on the fire department too, and they probably did feel like they had to, if I did one thing, they had to do two things. Right. And all you've got to do is go out there and do the job. Do your best. That's it. That's it. And like you said, you're going to find that there are guys on that department. And now, you know, there's probably guys or gals that that's not their line. They they should be in that career. Absolutely not. Yeah, there's plenty. I mean, gosh, there's lots of guys I know that I didn't want backing me up on a call. Yep. But there was plenty of guys that wanted me to back them up. Right. Um. Yeah, you just got to prove yourself. Go out there and don't get your feelings hurt. Like you do have to prove yourself because they are going to look down on you for a period of time until you show up and do the work. But 
they're also judging the guys that shouldn't be there either. So yep. don't feel like it's just the ladies. It's we, like, guys aren't getting a free pass either. Absolutely not. Nope. Nope. It's just a line of work that, you know, is... Everybody has to prove themselves. Everybody. It's very important. But we women feel like... You got to do oh, twice. Gotta, yeah. I'm not supposed to be here, so I got to <laughs> overcompensate. And there are women that do that. And those people yeah. aren't liked very well. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> very, yes. Um, so that's a big role, too. And... and um, Staying at home and and raising the kids, you know, and working, um, I that was a big thing that for you to leave your career and and realizing the importance and some normalcy, yeah, you know, for for your kids, and they won't realize it. I'm just giving no. you this advice. They won't realize <laughs> it until. They're like in their twenties, right? And then they'll look back and they'll be like, "That was that was pretty good," yeah. you know, what mom and dad did. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> but um, how can people find your plexus? So I'm on uh, Instagram. You can find me there. It uh, fit to be a legacy. You can put it in the show notes. I think there's some underscores in there. I don't okay. know where they're at. I forget. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook too, um, under my maiden name, Johnny Atkins. Um, people, it's funny because I always, I've just left my maiden name there forever. And uh, I get mail all the time to Mr. and Mrs. Atkins because <laughs> <laughs> everyone thinks that's my last name, but my last name's Lester. Lester. <laughs> so what's your plans? What's your next year look like? Two years, three mm. years, four years? <sighs> you know... The plan is to retire in the next three years. Okay. Um, I said, like, I've always been one to, if you can't pay cash, don't buy it. So um, tried to invest since a, at a young age, and Mark retires in three years. And we're hoping that if all goes as planned and nothing goes sideways over the next couple of years, we'll be done. Of course, we're not one to sit and do nothing, so we will find something to do, but it will be on our own terms versus someone else's. That's good. Yeah. It's exciting. Yes. That was a big thing too. What she just said, you know, for people, younger people is invest early, 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 as early. As soon as you can. And it pays dividends mm -hmm. quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, good. Thank you for stopping by and chatting. Yeah. Thanks and, for having uh, me. And um, I appreciate your time. Of course. All right. See ya. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.